to the Bottle of Brown podcast. I am your host, Danny Paul. Joining me tonight in the Bob Media Studios is the maestro of De Mexico, the Duke of the Desert, the crown prince of the purple. Welcome to the Midge. Hey, where are the white women at? Yo, yo. How you doing, buddy? Hanging in. How you doing? We were abandoned by our two other vice hosts who are on a golf sojourn, and I pressured them to call in, even in their... Uh, possibly altered state and they both said nope we'll tell you all the stories next episode but uh mr jumps brought along a bottle of george stag and some eagle rare and he he really called out the really really nice bourbons and they're all out in vegas right now having a good time and uh if we get if we get a little brave maybe we'll try and call them later but for the most part it's you and me tonight my man what is your brown for this evening? So I'm actually doing good old Jack Daniels and Coke. Ooh, the original. Ah, yeah, still don't like it. <laughs> I'm trying to acquire a taste. Yeah, it's like McDonald's. I try and go once a month to remind myself. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'm going to switch between this and beer. Good for you, sir. Fight the good fight. Yeah. I was hoping that General Tizzo could join us because I am drinking a bottle that he got me, which is called Blackened, which is a blend of straight whiskeys finished in black brandy casks. And it is Metallica booze. And the whole shtick with Blackened, this is batch 128. The whole shtick with Blackened is that they blast Metallica music in the Rick House in the barrel. So the playlist for my batch 128, I can find on Spotify. And that's the music wow. that played for my whiskey as I drink it. And so I think I'm going to throw that spotify link in the show notes for anybody that wants to check out batch 128 of blackened whiskey i gotta say it's not bad it's uh it's quite tasty for a celebrity booze and it's metallic enthusiast so there you go real get a little hey yeah anyway now that we're done talking about brown let's talk about brown how you doing whiskey and whiskey this is the darkest brown you got yeah say home's up where they hiding the scotch Brown. That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Can I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Nice talk about brown. We're going to explore a thing, Midge. The American Single Malt Whiskey Commission. Now, I know you are not a whiskey man per se. Kudos to you no. for trying to throw back some Jack and trying to join the world of the Brown, but that's fine. Your Brown is something else entirely. But this was an interesting one to me because as I've gone back and forth with Leon on this, his beloved bourbon versus my scotch is kind of the battle of the Atlantic. Well, scotch is called scotch because it's from Scotland. This is basically America scotch because they follow all the same rules, but they have to call it the American single malt whiskey commission. It was founded in 2016. So it's relatively new and it's American single malt whiskey.org. The mission statement is the establish, promote and protect the category of American single malt whiskey. This is a category, Mitch. You ready for this? What, here, here's the deal. It's got to be made from 100% malted barley, distilled entirely in one place, one distillery, mashed, distilled, and matured in the United States, matured in oak casks of a capacity not exceeding 700 liters, distilled to no more than 160 proof, 80% by volume. That's, that's pretty gnarly. And bottled at 80 proof or more. Sounds interesting. And then they grabbed all of these distilleries from around the world. So we've got uh, Virginia, Washington, Oregon, Nantucket, New Mexico, Montana, Texas, Washington, and Illinois, and then all these other guys that are joining us. So 
in our home state, since you and I live in state 48, you know where Elgin, Arizona is? I think that's in the Southeast. Yeah. Down, down Mexico way. So that's Arizona craft beverage. They are one of the members of this organization. And then a little bit closer to home, there was another one from Arizona in this list. Chandler. Santan. Oh, yeah. So I know they mean it's single malt scotch. We know Santan. So they are officially part of the American Single Malt Whiskey Association. What do you think of this? Do you think you, think you can have American scotch? I think they're certainly trying to. Alameda, that's right right down the street from Jones. <clears throat> yeah, so these are all, uh, these so are all what malt, exactly does malt partners. Mission? What exactly are they studying? What are these? <clears throat> like, well, the idea what, is you what can What do have... they do? It's always, always a question with things like this. What do they do exactly? Well, if you look at the heading along the navigation here, we have transparency, a commitment to transparency, and keeping with the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission's mission, our members have committed to operating with transparency in their labels, marketing, communications, and practices. Members have pledged to operate in an honest, transparent, and non-deceptive fashion and only label their products as American Single Malt Whiskey with or without an E, when the following guidelines are followed. Member producers will make every effort to clearly and accurately convey their sourcing activities and methods of production in their marketing materials. Labels, labels will clearly state city and state. Labels will comply with all TTB requirements. Overall spirit and intention of these transparency guidelines is to prevent consumer confusion by encouraging our members to accurately and clearly represent their sourcing activities and how these interact with their own production. They are not intended to make members disclose every aspect of their production, but simply to help consumers understand what they're drinking and where it comes from. So we're creating a new category. We've got Irish whiskey. We've got Scotch whiskey. We've got bourbon. But now we have American single malt. You know what? I think America, the, less we, the less we understand about what we're putting in our mouths, the better. Isn't that a problem, though? Isn't that are we are we contributing to the problem, sir? I guess so. Yeah. In 2016. Yeah, relatively new. I've got sperm older than this commission. <laughs> Address the growing need for American-based producers to define the category both domestically and internationally in order to protect, educate, promote, and ultimately grow it. Declaration of purpose. Category recognition starts here in this moment. So we've got a whole, there's a lot of brand names here. So a lot of people are behind this. This is a thing. So I thought it was worthy of talking about because now we have another category. So the next time we sit down and we say, what's your brand tonight? And somebody says, well, I have an American single malt. That's a thing. That is a thing. Let's see. Oh yeah. Daily beast, Washington post punch, the gray lady, scotchwhiskey.com, whiskey advocate, whiskey cast. Yeah. Like they're, they've got some ink and then there is actually a spirits competition. Oh, look at this. The San Diego International Spirits Competition, Los Angeles International Spirits Competition, the Ascot Awards, the American Distilling Institute, Spirits International Prestige Awards, Micro Liquor Spirit Awards, Denver International, American Craft Spirits Association. Very nice. So this is competing for a title and there's all these different websites here. So the following list of whiskey competitions is ordered by date of entry. Note that the base per entry costs range from a high of 550 bucks down to 200 so some of the discounts offered by ASMWC members should be considered in that light. Also, a couple of these offer multiple ASMW categories, so be mindful of that during the entry process. But this is it. They're trying to create a thing. I think that's kind of nice. Well, it's never going to be scotch, but it uh, it will be. Maybe some, pe some people will jump on the American single malt bandwagon. What I'm wondering is if there's ever a supply chain breakdown where you couldn't get scotch that was one of the reasons that we were drinking a lot of bourbon last year was you just couldn't find scotch on the shelf and so now we have domestically produced domestically named and americans want to make a name for themselves in the single malt 
whiskey category. It's so I Friday, that fascinating. Surprising the Scottish aren't always too drunk to get the casks on the boat. Well, there is an Irish whiskey, but there is not an Australian whiskey, I don't believe. So of all the cultures that are associated with drinking, Americans are keeping up. Really? Australia doesn't have any kind of whiskey? I don't know. Is there an Australian whiskey? Let's put the show on pause. Australian whiskey is whiskey produced in Australia, but they don't have a commission as of December 2021. That's that's well, that's not much considering the size of the continent. Of which approximately 50 have a whiskey on the market. The industry has shown steady growth since the early 90s, especially in boutique craft distilling scene. But there is no rules. There's no rules for Australian whiskey. There's not many rules in Australia. Yeah, I don't think so. While Tasmania hosts the largest concentration of whiskey distilleries in Australia. There are also many whiskey distilleries scattered throughout the main island. Sullivan's Cove French Oak Single Cask won the world's best single malt whiskey at the World Whiskey Awards. Well done. Well done. Australian whiskey has become highly sought after internationally for similarities to Scotch whiskey, yet has its own unique and distinct flavor. So Australia does have its own whiskey, but it is not a commission. A commission. Well, that wraps up talking about Brown. Let's get to our top story. News team, assemble! Let's get down. And I got news for you. Mid you flew. This one might hit you in the feels. This one's from Time Magazine. A Pentagon study finds high cancer rates in military pilots and ground crews. Uh, Pentagon, this was dated March 20th, 2023. So it's only a couple of weeks ago. Pentagon study has found high rates of cancer among military pilots and for the first time has shown that ground crews who fuel, maintain, and launch those aircraft also getting sick. The data has long been sought by retired military aviators who have raised alarms for years about the number of air and ground crew members they knew who had cancer. They were told that earlier military studies have found they were not at a greater risk than the general U.S. population. Ho, ho, ho. In its year-long study of almost 900,000 service members who flew on or worked on military aircraft between 92 and 2017, the Pentagon found that air crew members had an 87% higher rate of melanoma and a 39% higher rate of thyroid cancer, while men had a 60% higher rate of prostate cancer and women a 16% higher rate of breast cancer. Overall, the air crews had a 24% higher rate of cancer of all types. Studies showed ground crews had a 19% higher rate of brain and nervous system cancers, a 15% higher rate of thyroid cancer, and a 9% higher rate of kidney or renal cancers, while women had a 7% higher rate of breast cancer. The overall rate of cancers of all types was 3% higher for ground crews. And you, you have some insight into this. You think you know why? Well, from what I've heard, I mean, this is just proximity to the atmosphere. You'll notice melanoma was the one that was drastically higher, almost, almost 100% higher. You're almost, twice, you're almost twice as likely to get melanoma if you're a pilot or part of a flight crew. And that is because you're up in the atmosphere. You're, I mean, to put it simply, you're close to the sun, but also there's less atmosphere where you are and there's less protection from the things that cause skin cancer. So this is not, even, this if, is you're not, in, even if you're in a plane, so I can understand the, the cockpits open, the sunlight's coming in, but even in a plane, like even, even commercial aviation has this problem. Still coming from through the windshield and, and it's, it's flight crews, not just the pilots. So it's not like the sun coming through the windshield is having a big impact when you're higher up you are, I think you have greater exposure to whatever it is. I don't know exactly what causes melanoma than that the sun has a big, has a lot to do with it, but being higher up in the atmosphere does 
make you more prone to this, these types of cancer. And it's a not very well guarded secret that flight crews in general and in airlines have much higher rates, rates of cancer than in other professions. In an earlier study had looked at just Air Force pilots and had found some higher rates of cancer, while this one looked across all services at both air and ground. The study was required by Congress in the 2021 defense bill. Now, because higher rates were found, the Pentagon must conduct an even bigger review to try to understand why the crews are getting sick. I think that's pretty much what you were saying. It's along those lines. So they have done the study. They have confirmed that there is correlation, uh, but they haven't yet talked about causation. So radiation is one of them. Um, environmental factors that they these crews are exposed to, such as jet fuels and solvents used to clean and maintain jet parts, sensors and their power sources and aircraft nose cones, and the massive radar systems on the decks of the ships they land on. When Navy Captain Jim Seaman would come home from a deployment aboard an aircraft carrier, his gear would reek of jet fuel, his widow, Betty Seaman, said. The A6 intruder pilot died in 2018 at age 61 of lung cancer. Betty Seaman still has his gear stored and it still smells of fuel. Is there a link? She said she and others have mixed feelings about finally seeing in data what they have suspected for years about the aviation cancers. But, quote, it has the potential to do a lot of good as far as early communication, early detection, unquote. Study found that when crew members were were diagnosed with cancer, they were more likely to survive than members of the general population, which the study suggested was because they were diagnosed earlier due to regular required medical checkups, more likely to be in better health because of their military fitness requirements. And these are people who are generally, well, are are definitely more healthy. They're in better shape than the general population. So you would... if it weren't for their exposure to the military, you'd expect them to live longer, not shorter, and, mm. and have less issues with this kind of stuff. But generally speaking, if you join the military, you're probably going to get cancer. Because if it's not this, it's the fire pit, something's going to get you. Yeah, if it's not, you know, war. Anyway, the it's Pentagon is bullet, not- It'll be long-term exposure to something. Yeah, no, it's, it's either bullets, bombs, Burn pits, a lot of bees there. Burn pits uh, are yeah, burn pits are probably the worst. That's a thing. Yeah, I saw that on Jay Stu. Um, Pentagon's now going to pull data from those registries to add to the total count, but the second phase of the study will try to isolate causes. 2021 bill requires the Defense Department not only to identify the carcinogenic toxicants or hazardous materials associated with military flight operations, but also determine the type of aircraft and locations where diagnosed crews served. So really nothing in this article that speaks to radiation, Mitch. Well done. You have identified something that they did not think of. They're talking about the the chemicals and materials, a lot of burn pit related stuff. I think there's a lot of bullshit that goes on. There was Agent Orange in in the 70s. And so it's, you know, it's war. There's a lot of shit going on in war. Uh, It's got to be radiation. Talking about, you're talking about flight crews. Now, guys down on the ground, who knows? Um, they're they're dealing with a lot of heavy chemicals. I can't imagine that that inhaling the fumes from jet fuel for, you know, 10 years-ish is going to have a positive effect on your health. That's probably, that probably has its downsides too. But I think with the flight crews, the reason melanoma is that high is definitely radiation exposure. Yeah, so isolating potential causes is difficult. And the Pentagon was careful to note that this study, quote, does not imply that military service and air crew or ground crew occupations causes cancer because there are multiple potential confounding factors that could not be controlled for in this analysis, unquote, such as family histories, smoking and alcohol. So basically they're, they're washing their hands of it, but if you get lung cancer working in the, in the Navy and you smell like jet fuel, no, it's 
I don't I don't get it. Complete surprise. I love when they do these studies. They it's always they always find something that should be no not surprising at all to anyone ever. Like, you know, when they do studies on people who eat McDonald's frequently and they're like, they're fatter than the average population. You know shit. <laughs> you didn't need to do the study. But this this is something that uh the military probably knew about a long time ago, but you know, they failed to um include in their group recruitment videos because it's not a big selling point. No, no. I, why, why would I want to do a uh, God on our country in cancer? That's usually, you don't list those things together. That's not, that's not appealing. Anyway, one, one more way that the, uh, that the troops are pumped up on the way in and discarded on the way out. Anyway, that's our top story. Giving the camera the neener, neener, neener. <laughs> Real much sure. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. This one fascinated me, Mitch. And I sat on it for a while. This was from January 2023. Researchers. Are you saying you sat on the bionic, the bionic penis? Is that what I you're did. telling me? Researchers restored erectile function in pigs using an artificial tissue patch. A new study reports. That's right. This one comes from uh, vice.com. Vice news, people. Scientists have developed bionic penis augments to one day treat erectile dysfunction. That's right. Bionic penises in pigs. This is real. Crank file certified. The article begins, scientists have enabled pigs with injured penises to experience normal erections again with the help of a bionic tissue transplant, an achievement that may pave the way for new treatments of erectile dysfunction in humans, reports a new study. The new research focused on the tunica albuginea, nailed that, a layered structure inside the penis that is directly involved in the erectile process. A team led by biomedical specialists at the South China University of Technology, SCUT, were able to make an artificial version of the tunica albuginea using hydrogel, which they successfully used to patch damaged penile tissue and bama miniature pigs. I'm going to sit on that right there. This this was their science. I get nervous anytime I hear the words damaged penile tissue. <laughs> Millions of people experience some form of erectile dysfunction in their lives that hampers their ability to achieve or maintain an erection. Some of these conditions, such as Peyronie's disease, are caused by injuries that affect the tunica albuginea, which is a highly elastic and double-layered tissue that facilitates the transition from soft to firm. Mm -hmm. After a series of experiments that involved detached pig penises, rat skin, fresh rabbit blood, the team ultimately produced a delicate structure, quote-unquote, that is, quote, biocompatible and has a positive effect on pig tunica albuginea injuries, according to the study published on Wednesday in the journal Matter. Okay, so you following along? They inject a gel into the broken pig dick that helps the pig do its thing. And then bonjour, back in business, and the pig does their thing. And this could transfer over realistically into humans. They call it artificial tunica albuginia, ATA, composed of a strain stiffening hydrogel consisting of aligned yet crimped fibers. Displays the capability to repair injuries and restore normal erectile function of the TA damaged penile tissue in a pig. Our study demonstrates that ATA is great promise for penile injury repair. Does it ever worry you how much time we spend trying to figure out how to keep penises hard? <laughs> there is a disproportionate amount of research on the dick, isn't there? <laughs> I mean, we actually stumbled upon Viagra, which is interesting because the precursor to Viagra was modafinil, which is a uh, a drug that I sold for a while that is good for alertness. And it's like... It's like Adderall light. It has very few side effects. It just wakes you up. It's like it's like a bunch of caffeine. Boom. But it's sustainable. It lasts like six or seven hours. And what they found was people who are getting who are taking this also getting a nice hard boner. 
along with elsewhere. Okay. Attention. So they started playing with the molecule and figured out how isolated the isotopes that were causing the heart on and just jacked up that part and boom, Viagra. Oh my. Uh, it does seem like we just have so much, like how many, how many people are, are the, are the penis pills not working for? That's my curiosity is once Viagra showed up, then you had Cialis and, and all these others that just magically showed up. Remember that one Super Bowl where all the commercials were just penis pills? Yeah, it was. Like, uh, the pill is not enough. Let's do a hydrogel. They, they were called, they were calling that a uh, super boner 41, I think. <laughs> Uh, no apparent penile spine and penile size that's similar to humans. There are still significant differences between the organs of the two species that would need to be investigated. The strategy for constructing ATA could be extended to biomimetic constructs of various materials and other load-bearing tissues. I'll say that again. Load-bearing tissues, such as blood vessels, intestine, cornea, bladder, tendons, and myocardium. The mammalian penis is controlled by blood flow for a rapid, soft, hard transition, and this bionic ATA might inspire the development of fluid-driven soft robots. I think I have the commercial name for this product when it finally comes out. <laughs> Porkies. Porkies. I want to know if they were if they had DeRochambeau for who had to go in the pen and figure out which pigs had the broken dicks. It is the fault of the Wang. <laughs> oh, anyway. Boy, did they, I mean, did they, have to, did they have to play with the pig dicks to see if they could get hard or not? I'm kind like, of I'm I'm kind of curious. Like, so, there was a lot well, of real awkward research. What are we going to be some guy down in the muck just, just giving, giving pigs handies? That's what I'm wondering. Is it, did you have a fluffer? Did you have... Did you have a did you have a pig uh, a pig handy? Did you just, is there such a thing as pig porn? I mean, how, how do you, you got to measure this stuff somehow, right? Did they give? Did each pig get a flashlight? And you know they they mounted it with some some bungee cords or something like how this work? The question. Anyway, that wraps up the crank file. Let's get to WTF. Excuse me, what the what the what the hey yo what the what what the fuck the whiskey tangled. This one got me going. Uh, this is from The Intercept. It's dated March 22nd. So again, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, license plate surveillance, courtesy of your homeowners association. Lock Safety, which is a company that works with police to market scanners to hundreds of private community groups which have no privacy safeguards. You believe this bullshit? At a city council meeting in June 2021, Mayor Thomas Kilgore of Lakeway, Texas, made an announcement that confused his community. I believe it's my duty to inform you that a surveillance system has been installed in the city of Lakeway, he told a perplexed crowd. Kilgore was referring to a system consisting of eight license plate readers installed by the private company Flock Safety. It was tracking cars on both private and public roads. Despite being in place for six months, no one had told residents that they were being watched. Kilgore himself had just recently learned of the cameras. We find ourselves with a surveillance system with no information, no policies, procedures, or protections. The deal to install the cameras had not been approved by the city government's executive branch. Instead, the Rough Hollow Homeowners Association, a non-government entity, and the Lakeway police chief had signed off on the deal in January 21, giving police access to residents' footage. By the time of the June city council meeting, the surveillance system had notified the police department over a dozen times. We thought we were just being a partner with the city. Bill Hayes, the chief operating officer of Legend Communities, which oversees the Rough Hollow Homeowners Association. We didn't go out there thinking we were being big brother. Lakeway is just one example of a community that has faced flock surveillance without many homeowners knowledge or approval. 
Neighbors in Atlanta, Georgia remained in the dark for a year after cameras were put up in Lake County, Florida. Nearly 100 cameras went up overnight like mushrooms, according to one county commissioner, without a single permit. In a statement, Flock Safety brushed off the Lake County incident as an honest misunderstanding, but the increasing surveillance of community members' movements across the country is no accident. It's a deliberate marketing strategy. Does this bother you as much as it bothers me, Midge? Am I alone here? This is just another. This is just another reason to hate HOAs. Does anybody like an like HOAs? I love I that. I live, likes. I love that I live in a, in a neighborhood that doesn't have an HOA because I feel like they're just professional harassers. And and on top of it, they most people don't realize that most of the services that are provided by an HOA, like the landscaping and stuff like that are usually owned by one of the board members or whatever you want to call them, the partners of the HOA, the, the, the people in charge of the HOA, they own those services. So when you see that bill go up, somebody in your neighborhood who owns the company doing that maintenance just gave themselves a pay raise. They're paying themselves. And what yeah. you get in, in return is further harassment almost relentlessly. Which is why they always like to raise HOA fees every year. Yeah. It's their favorite thing to do and why I love, I mean, I, I used to always tell people, particularly in condos, you don't realize that one of the things that happens with, with, uh, with condos and HOAs is when the market turns, people start paying their more, stop paying their mortgage. They obviously stop paying the HOA. And then if the HOA doesn't have enough money, if you're trying to get an FHA loan and you try to go buy a condo in that particular within that association, your loan isn't going to get approved because it's been shown that the HOA doesn't have enough money to pay for the things that it needs, which means the whole complex is eventually going to go into disarray and their investment uh, it, or their the property values are going to drop like a rock. So it's a really good reason not to buy a condo, but also not to own a home with an HOA if you can get around it. Now, it's, if, if. it's so hard now, though, that I mean, pretty much all new neighborhoods have an HOA. So unless you're willing to buy an older house, you usually can't get around it. And and unfortunately, upper scale neighborhoods almost always have an HOA. So sometimes it's fine. It's hard just to find a nice house in a given area without having to pay an HOA. Yeah. For those of you that are wondering what the fuck, maybe you don't own property. Well, one day you might. HOAs have large budgets. They collect over $100 billion a year from homeowners, and it's an opportunity for law enforcement to gain access into gated private areas normally out of reach. Over 200 HOAs nationwide have bought and installed Flocks license plate readers, according to an Intercept investigation, the most comprehensive count to date. HOAs are private entities and therefore not subject to public record requests or regulation. They can do whatever the fuck they want in your neighborhood with your house. Has this addressed exactly what their justification was for using this particular technology? Like, what do they care if somebody else's car is parked in your driveway or in the neighborhood? What business is it of theirs? Uh, it's a it was a pilot program between Flock Safety and the local sheriff and the homeowners association probably under the guise of security. So what are the consequences if somebody abuses the system? So says Dave Moss, a director of investigations of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. There are repercussions of having this data and you don't have that kind of accountability when it comes to a homeowners association. Uh, the ACLU has reported that private camera operators can create a hot list and HOAs have boasted of the capability. 
Block, however, said private owners can don't have direct access to these functions and can only refer data to police departments that do. Uh, our team has stood in front of hundreds of city council meetings, blah, 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 blah. Of course, after facing is, public outrage. Here's a question. What is the benefit to the homeowners since it is a homeowners association that is using this? I think the idea is intruders, strangers, burglaries, robberies, people that aren't supposed to be there. This is an opportunity to have surveillance footage and evidence of the person that's not supposed to be there. And so it certainly helps with burglaries, vandalism, that kind of thing. Uh, although the part that gets me is they claim to have gotten permission, but they only got permission from the HOA, not from the residents. Right. So surprise, surprise, after facing public outrage, the cameras were removed from communities in Texas, Florida, but Flock's license plate readers continue to rapidly proliferate daily from Missouri to Kentucky. It's a near constant drumbeat, said Edwin Yonka, the director of public policy at the American Civil Liberties Union of Illinois. With over half of all Americans living in HOAs, experts believe the surveillance technology is far more ubiquitous than we know. To entice the police, Flock claims it makes neighborhoods 70% safer and quickly arms police with evidence. Law enforcement officials are easily persuaded by Flock's safety promise to reduce crime, which the company stresses is trending dangerously upward. Last April, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy pledged to spend $10 million dollars to expand the use of automated license plate readers, which would capture and store images in a centralized database accessible to law enforcement to combat an epidemic in car theft. The range of data flock surveillance systems could collect is vast. The company's vehicle fingerprint technology goes beyond traditional models, capturing not only license plate numbers, but also the state vehicle type, make, color, missing uncovered plates, bumper stickers, decals, and roof racks. The data is stored on Amazon Web Services servers and is deleted after 30 days. Allegedly. Amazon Web Services. Wonderful. So it's on <laughs> AWS with an alleged 30-day deletion. Such details yep. have helped police catch crime. Dallas police, for instance, said the cameras were a game changer and that they have recovered over 200 allegedly stolen vehicles by using these readers. Raleigh police in North Carolina recently said that in the first six months after installing the cameras, they alerted officers to 116 wanted people and 41 people were arrested. However, the studies have found there is no real evidence that license plate readers actually have an effect on crime rates and what constitutes a crime in one state may not be one in another and can therefore escalate tensions in communities already over-targeted by law enforcement. In 2017, the ACLU of Northern California found that more than 80 agencies in a dozen states were sharing license plate reader database information run by Flock's main competitor, Vigilant Solutions, now owned by Motorola, with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement in violation of state laws or sanctuary policies. When asked by Vice whether Flock could be used by immigration authorities for deportation, Garrett Langley, the company's CEO, said, yes, if it was legal in a state, we would not be in a position to stop them. He added, we give the customers the tools to decide and let them go from there. Ain't that a bitch. This is really going to hurt my meth production. <laughs> uh, here's an interesting quote. The flock camera situation was one of several data points in which the former chief exceeded the scope of his authority. That's really the port where it comes down to me is it's not so much that you're putting cameras in because I understand London's 
covered in CCTV cameras. I don't know that that necessarily bothers me as much as they installed it without residents' permission or knowledge. That's the what the fuck moment here in this segment. And the fact that there are over 200 HOAs already participating in this, with which they assume is going to be about close to half around the country. That just ought to be a reason for alarm. Yeah, anytime, uh, anytime the police get a new tool that says, this is going to help us, I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be more money out of my pocket for some shit that's going to end up taking more money out of my pocket again later. So all of these links will be in the show notes. For those of you new to the Bottle of Brown podcast, welcome. We post all the links that we talk about in the show. This is a sizable article, so you can go through and pick it through at your leisure and see all the data. I just wanted to foment a little outrage out there because this is bullshit and nobody likes HOAs anyway. So the fact that they're now legitimately spying on us without our permission or knowledge. I thought was worthy of a WTF. That wraps up WTF. Let's go to science, technology, space. Science isn't about why, it's about why not. Technology. Yes, science. Technology. Space. Grab this one from AP News. That's right. Most trusted source in news, bitches. Coming soon. Reese's Cups, chocolate bars made from plants. And you may say to yourself, Midge, wait a minute. Cocoa is a plant. I was thinking that. I was also thinking peanuts. Mm, a it, root. Goes, it goes deeper. It goes deeper. The article goes on. Reese's peanut butter cups are getting the vegan treatment. Hershey Co. said Tuesday that Reese's plant-based peanut butter cups, which go on sale this month, will be its very first vegan chocolate sold nationally. Second plant-based offering, Hershey's plant-based extra creamy with almonds and sea salt will follow in April. The chocolates are made with oats instead of cow milk. Hershey's experimented with vegan chocolate before. It sold an oat-based chocolate bar called Oat Made, surprising, in some test markets starting in 2021, but the new products will be the first sold throughout the U.S. under the plant-based label. Hershey said consumers want choice, and are looking for products they consider healthier or with fewer ingredients, including reduced sugar and plant-based options. Hershey also introduced an organic version of Reese's Cups in February 21. Younger consumers in particular are looking to reduce consumption of animal-based products, says Euromonitor, market research firm. In a 2021 survey, Euromonitor found that 54% of Generation Z Consumers were restricting animal-based products from their diets compared to 34% of boomers. Nestle sold its KitKat V, a vegan KitKat bar, in Europe since 21, while Cadbury sells a vegan chocolate bar in the United Kingdom. But so far, U.S. vegan chocolate options have generally been limited to premium brands like Lint or organic chocolatiers like Who Kitchen. Do you think of vegan when you think of milk Chocolate, Midge. Well, I thought, first of all, I thought Kit Kat V was a porn star. Doesn't Kit Kat V sound a little too oh, kinky? I got great music for Kit Kat V. Hold on. Share with a friend. Uh, the question is, will they give pigs boners? Oh, pig boners and vegan chocolate. That yep, sounds like yep, a party. Determines. Hershey said it developed uh, plant-based. This falls, this, this falls squarely under who cares. <laughs> I thought it was interesting because I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Really I, I had the first reaction you did. What do you mean a vegan chocolate bar? Chocolate is from a plant. Peanuts are from a plant. What's, what's going on? I was wondering, like, are they baking these things with eggs? Like, what the hell's, what's in these that I don't know about? It's the milk in the milk chocolate. 
So Hershey said it developed plant-based versions of Reese's Cups and Hershey bars, some of its most popular products, because there's a dearth of mainstream plant-based chocolate in the United States. Plant-based versions will cost more. Oh, yeah, that's going to get us going. Hershey wouldn't share details because it said retailers set final prices, but Rite Aid lists a 1.4-ounce package of two plant-based Reese's Cups at $2.50. That's about a dollar more than consumers would pay for a regular package. Let me pause there. It's not the dollar. It's the fact that the regular version is 150. So you're going to raise the price 66% and call it vegan and everything's totally fine. This is the challenge and, of math. If people don't want to do the math. And and don't forget, it won't cost it won't cost Hershey or any of these other companies a shiny nickel more to use oat milk. Oat milk's basically the same price as regular milk. So enjoy giving them an extra dollar more on each package. There's the motivation. They're going to market the shit out of these things. A 66% markup, people. Hershey charges a similar premium for organic versions of its Reese's Cups, which went on sale in 2021. So it's not just Reese's. Hershey's fucking us too. And ditching the dairy won't cut calories. Well, Hershey didn't release all the nutritional facts. The 1.4 ounce package of plant-based Reese's Cups have 210 calories. That's the same number of calories as a one and a half ounce package of traditional Reese's. So tell me again, as they say in office space, what would you say you do here? Because I don't get it. <laughs> well, Bill, the first hour or so of my day, I pretty much spend staring at my desk. And in any given day, I probably do about 15 minutes of real work. <laughs> Who would have known that office space was really projecting the future of employment in general? Oh, that's pretty much about how much work most people do in their jobs in a given that, day. That is one of those movies that has so underrated and it was become such a staple because of DVD sales. You wonder if there's going to be another movie, I guess streaming, but you wonder if there's going to be another opportunity for movies like that to be such a dud and so cherished later on as office space. Well, they really didn't. They didn't get behind it. And it's typical of Hollywood executives to see the genius behind a comedy that's very, very different from most of their stuff. It's already been made. No vision. No vision. Let's close out with some happy times. <laughs> Grab this one from the USA Today image. This one really spoke to me. How a 12-year-old's nightlight nonprofit is brightening life for foster children. Between pageant competitions, dancing, and acting, Amelia Lizau, nailed that, 12 years old, has a lot going on, but still finds time to brighten the worlds of foster children. The Arkansas Natives family motto is find something you're good at and use it to make the world a better place. I think we can pause on that. The young volunteer has done just that. In 2018, she founded her nonprofit organization, Lizzo's Lights, which provides night lights to children in the foster care system. Let's pause for a second. Girls 12 nonprofit. <laughs> what have you done? 12 year olds take a lap. Sometimes she foster kids dances too. She does. She's a dancer. She's got other hobbies. You know, she's a magician. Sometimes foster kids have to leave in the middle of the night because of neglect, abuse, or drugs, said Amelia, who is now in the sixth grade. Having that nightlight makes it more comfortable in a new house where they may not know anybody and makes them feel more safe. The Bryant Middle School student raised enough money in 2018 to donate more than 500 nightlights to foster kids across central Arkansas, according to the organization. Since then, Amelia's nonprofit has extended its reach to 50 U.S. states and nine countries. Amelia Lizzo, L-I-S-O-W-E, holds up a custom Lizzo's lights 
Nightlight, donated by promotional merchandise marketing company for Imprint. Talk about a hero in a tiny little package. This girl's a champ. It's impressive. I don't know how you start start a nonprofit. Uh, who's paying for this? Well, I guess she's the, raising money by donations. That's how she's paying for it. It's all donations. I'm a little concerned that she she knows that they have to leave in the middle of the night because of neglect, abuse, or drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the nightlight is all they need. According to her studies. <laughs> Although I got to say, I, I have a 10, soon to be 11-year-olds, and the nightlight helped. So she knows something we don't. Well Still done, kiddo. Anyway, that wraps up Happy Times. That's our show. You can call us at brown at gmail.com. Give us a call at 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, The Midge, Mr. Jones, any of our special guests. We want to hear from you. Give us ideas for content or refute anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, and share with a friend. We're on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a quiet drink with us next episode. Same brown time, same brown channel. Bottle of brown. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>